This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. We're thrilled to have joining us a very distinguished panel, including Lois Vossen, who is the founding executive producer of the PBS documentary series Independent Lens, produced by ITVS. And she represents the documentary branch of the Television Academy's Board of Directors and also is a member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences on the doc branch. And for her uh, work with uh, Independent Lens, she was a managing associate managing director for the Sundance Film Festival, which, of course, launches so many of the eventual Oscar nominees for Best Documentary Feature, including two this year. We also have with us Merjan Safinia, who is an award-winning L.A.-based Iranian director, filmmaker, and field builder. He focuses on building networks for justice, equity, and diversity in the doc field and considers herself, I love this, a good troublemaker. We need those in our field. <laughs> regular juror on uh, documentary film festivals, programmer, speaker, and connector of all things documentary. And uh, those in the doc field know that she was the longest serving president of the board of directors of the International Documentary Association, also a member of the doc branch of the Motion Picture Academy. Well, great to have you here. And Tom White is a former longtime editor of Documentary Magazine. The IDA's publication contributes now to POV Magazine, Canada Filmmaker Magazine, Zocalo Public Square, and to Deadline. He's got a piece upcoming on Nainai and Waipo that will appear soon on Deadline. That, of course, is nominated for Best Documentary Short. Thank you all for being with us. Thank Good you, Matt. Here. Thank you. Thank you for for joining us. And I, if if we're going to assemble th- th- this density of resumes, we got to have a, a, a topic worthy of that. And and I I think we do. And I certainly and Matt, I think you would agree that there's probably a year that doesn't pass. That there's not some kind of, and I put this in quotes, controversy over Oscar nominations and perceived snubs. And usually these controversies generally surround the higher-profile narrative features. But other awards categories certainly aren't immune, as this year's documentary feature nominations prove. And almost immediately after the nominations were announced, the Hollywood trade publication Variety, which I should mention is part of the Penske Media Group, which we are too, because there's basically two media groups left in the whole world. But there was an article that was produced by <laughs> Addie Morfoot that was titled, The Doc World is Reeling from Oscar nominations and what they might mean for the struggling sector. And the the subheading was, there is resentment towards certain kinds of success. And in this article, um, Morfoot quotes one individual who didn't want to be named as saying, it is deeply concerning to me that the doc branch did not nominate a single film by an American filmmaker. I also think this is the quote continuing, that it's a giant mistake that our branch our branch did not nominate some of the most successful and most beloved films of the year. 
That's a terrible development for those of us who want to make great films that also reach a broad audience. Close quote. Now, clearly not everyone feels this way. Almost immediately after that immediate publication of that article in Variety, Slate produced a piece by Sam Adams. The title says it all. This Oscar season just got its dumbest controversy yet. The nominations for Best Documentary are the best. That's a superlative and absolute. It is the best that they've ever been. That hasn't stopped traditionalists from complaining. Again, that's the full quote. That's not my opinion. As always, the truth tends to lie in between. That's why we've assembled these experts. And I'm just curious, and I want to open this up. Uh, Let's go Margin, Lois, and Tom. And then just very quickly, biggest controversy ever? Or is this just par for the Oscar course documentary, Oscar so white, uh, not enough female? It's just, it's, it's the result of things that were baked into the equation, and it's people voting their hearts, and sometimes they're going to get it right, and sometimes they're going to get it in our opinions wrong. Just from everyone, kind of where you may stand. Marjean, let's begin with you. Biggest controversy known to mankind, people being people. I mean, in this moment in the world, you know, there there can be no bigger controversy than this. Uh, I would say, to be candid, this is a manufactured controversy by mm-hmm. trade press that needs something to write about. Gets <laughs> paid a lot of money for award coverage and stakes out claims about who's going to be on the list and the winner for months and months and months. And then they feel kind of dumb if it doesn't work out that way. And so controversy is manufactured. I think it is one of the bigger controversy, manufactured controversies of the last you know, 48 hours. Yeah. Okay. So don't hold back. That's how you really feel. Lois, you are... <laughs> I, I'm going to completely agree with Marge on this. I think that so much money is invested in the campaign cycle. And so if that money doesn't yield certain results, then there has to be a conversation about why that happened. And suddenly we have this controversy. We have five worthy films that were nominated. Mm -hmm. There are many other worthy films that could have been nominated. But to call this, you know, the greatest controversy of our our field feels a little manufactured. That's a great word for it, Marge. Tom? Make it three. Um, uh, It's a controversy in search of a crisis, in search of a debacle. Um, Mm -hmm. I I just, (laughs) I mean, it is money-driven. Um, I, I kind of question a lot of things that were said, um, you know, particularly about, uh, you know, the, the gripe about American documentaries and how there's a, there's a surfeit of them Mm. in, in the, uh, in the final five and just what success is. Does success mean the, uh, the most, the, the highest budgeted awards campaign? So I, I think what we're honoring here is, is artistic excellence is, is, uh, verve and, seeking out the stories that we don't know a whole lot about. And I, you know, I think this final five is, is, is worthy of their nominations. That's not to say that there are people who feel there might be reverberations if people invest a lot of money in campaigns and the campaigns don't yield the result they want. That's a real thing. Uh, anybody who invests a lot of money and the investment doesn't pay off will begin to rethink, am I going to spend that money? That's a different conversation. Should there be that much money spent on awards? Is that really in a field that has been underfunded forever? Is that where we really should be spending our resources on awards campaigns? But that's a tangential conversation. Maybe it'll come out of this manufactured controversy. Clearly, you all feel that that this is a manufactured 
um, controversy. But but I do want to, and I guess maybe I'm playing a bit of a devil's advocate. Is there also a space, though, where there are certain films that come out that have a profile and have a um, a known or a producer or a director or a team that has come in and has been successful? And there may be a feeling from some people who are voting, you know what, we're not going to reward this. This this is already sold to Apple. Um, this is someone who is here annually or uh, semi-annually. And we're going to step back and we're going to go an, another direction, not based on merit, not based on um, true feeling, but on supposition that this already is, this, uh, this film started on second base. So we're going to vote for the film in the dugout. Is there, do you think, perhaps a reaction from some folks that Netflix is, you know, they're, they're doing all the docs, they're doing a Stallone doc, they're doing a, a Michael J. Fox doc, as good as they may be, certainly not going to reward those when there's a smaller doc elsewhere that needs the help. I'm going to put my vote in that bucket. No, Mar- Marjin's given a big I, no. I just, I, you know, I can't speak for 680 voting members of the doc branch, but uh, I can speak for myself. Uh, and Lois, perhaps you can sort of opine, you know, you watch a lot of films, you have to watch a lot of films, right? So we have to watch 10% of what is submitted and then the other films that weren't on your list that you also want to watch. And then, you know, the short list comes out and you watch those. So you are, you are really are consuming a lot, right? And, you know, I think most people in the branch are working filmmakers or people in the industry and we care about it we care about the work we care about the craft we care about the story we care about the relevancy we care about the moment in which this film comes to the world and we respond to that and and i just that's what it is and you know i think you know the dog branch has become tremendously diverse in the last however many years five six years including internationally diverse and you know um in i think you said oscar so white at the beginning john you know, you can't cry out about the lack of diversity and then make great efforts to bring diverse opinions into something and then cry out and clutch your bras because diverse <laughs> people have different tastes, yeah. right? I mean, it's just, it's like we're, we're a cat chasing our tail. So, you know, I, I genuinely believe that people, look, are there some people who may do like a spite vote like that? Sure. But I think that when it comes down to the final five, people, are, they understand the the work that goes into making these films and they really pick from their heart and what resonates. I think, you know, that the across the 680, that's the result that you're you're seeing. And if I can just say how offensive it is to these five nominees to have hmm. all of this talk going on. I mean, yeah. I feel deeply embarrassed and I think it's really offensive to them, especially because they're international films, some of them without big marketing, some of them without even distribution. You know, to have gotten to this place is something tremendous that should be being celebrated and we should be so proud of. And instead, everyone's like, oh, well, you know, we're snubbing people and people don't care about Americans anymore. It's just so out of touch and, and tone deaf. And it's really troubling, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I just and there were a couple of the those who are quoted in both articles in Variety and Hollywood Reporter of, of talking about that. I mean, um, one of the producers saying we're tr- we we've been trying to get documentaries out of the ghetto and they're back in the ghetto again. I mean, that is just really insulting to to those who the final five. I mean, really dismissive of the final five. And as as March said. The branch has come a long, long way, and it's thanks due initially to Michael Moore and then Roger Ross Williams, 
who, by the way, um, was also snubbed. But I think his, his intention was to democratize the the branch to internationalize it. It's one of the it and and to achieve gender parity. And it's one of the m- most diverse branches in the academy tree. So I think that should be applauded. And and uh, I you know I think again as Mart said uh, you know 680 uh, members watch a lot of documentaries and they take them very seriously. A lot of them are are filmmakers. Um, some of them are gatekeepers, but a lot of them are filmmakers. And you know they they really know their art form, their craft, and their community. So I, I, I just say, and, and I think getting, getting yeah. back to the American question, um, I mean, I, you know, at least one of the films, uh, 20 Days in Mariupol was funded in large part by AP and Frontline. So those are American companies. Yeah, gra- granted, yes, you, you have uh, Ukrainian filmmakers on the ground risking their lives to make this wonderful film, amazing film. So, um, and then if you look at the, uh, the short list that preceded that, over half of them were American films, so. Yeah, to me, what would have been the interesting conversation is why is so much incredible documentary being made around the world in countries that don't have financing, that don't have the kind of support that we have in America? Isn't it incredible that we have these truth tellers, citizen storytellers? I mean, that's the interesting story here that seems to be eclipsed. Um, So again, I, I just feel like we're kind of talking about the wrong issue. I mean, if I could be provocative. Please, be, be, feel, feel free to be yes, provocative. If I may be provocative, I do think that one of the crises that exists in documentary at the moment is the crisis of the state of journalism about documentary. Uh, our uh, colleagues here, notwithstanding, there is some really good work that still happens. But there is a real there's a crisis about speaking, you know, thoughtfully. I, I, I think there was an article in, I think it was in The Hollywood Reporter, which almost called for, like, we need to stage an intervention with the documentary print, you know. Um, uh, it didn't use those words, but that was its implication, you know, that all the experts said this as though, who are the people who are in the branch? I mean, I think that they could, you know, be qualified as experts in the field also, you know, so... I think that I really do think a lot of this is the crisis around the the way that we see awards, the way that awards have been elevated to be this, you know, the most important thing that anyone could possibly consider. You know, at the end of the day, there's five slots for it for a feature length documentary, and there's many more than five excellent films. And and that's it. It's a it's a, a function of that. You know, every other Oscar uh, has other crafts, every other, you know, every fiction film has all these other crafts, all these other ways they can be recognized. That's just not the case for feature documentaries. So we have a paucity problem for sure. But I think a lot of this has to, we have to question also, uh, now the documentaries have become more mainstream and more people are watching them. Um, how can we elevate journalism around this form in a way that, you know, helps expand understanding of all of this stuff as opposed to being so reductive? Uh, I just want to pose something to the group. Is some of this symptomatic of larger issues, both in the Academy, in Hollywood in general? Um, I mentioned Oscar so white. Certainly it's an issue at the end of the year when you see the top four categories and there are no people of color involved. But it's also the problem begins with the decisions of the executives, what's getting made, what's getting put into production. And my issue with the Oscar So White is by the time you get to the end of the year, by the time you get to the awards, it, it's a little late. 
Do you know what I'm saying? If you don't construct something in a way that everybody has the opportunity to get in, they're wonderful parts for everybody, we're paying attention to it, yes, it looks bad, but it's part of an issue. To me, and I say this, you know, Matt Carey, and I will say this and I'll say it again because he's just, Margie, you mentioned it. um, You were very gracious to both of us. Matt is a top flight journalist. And I asked him before the nominations if he felt that there was anything that was going to go on this year. And he really said genuinely, I think that the international branch and all this work that people have done, they're going to flex their muscle. They're going to show that they've arrived and they're going to really, you're going to see it. I, I don't think Matt believed that all five would largely be in. Tom, you mentioned that a lot of the money um, for the, the Marple film was was American, but that there really was this international flavor. And as you mentioned, the doc branch and the academy, and I don't think they get enough credit, do a lot of work behind the scenes to really try to change the infrastructure. And when it changes without visibility, people are shocked, surprised, or even as you say, hey, we got to write something because to write a straight article, good job, everybody. Who's going to read that? You know what I mean? Congratulations. They all seem like nice films. We'll see you next year. That ain't going to get a lot of clicks. So is this really more symptomatic of long-term change finally arriving to the Academy and the doc branch? As you say, um, clickbait, but really people not understanding a lot of the work that is being done so that you can arrive to a place where you have these interesting films and they're not just top flight, top dollar, Apple Plus, Netflix, nothing against those. But we're really missing, you know, are we reading the tea leaves completely? I've driven Lois from the room with that question. (laughs) I'm not an Oscar historian, but there are three international films nominated for Best Picture this year as well. Is is that, I don't think that's a very common um, occurrence. So, you know, uh, yes, the dot branch has done a lot of work to to diversify, and that includes really intentional uh, outreach internationally, because I think a lot of international filmmakers don't even conceive that it's something that they could try for. You know, it's just it just feels so American, right? But also the rest of the Academy, because we've got amazing, I've been catching up uh, before we vote on on the international films. Each one of them is amazing, right? So there's just really good work. And I think it's only positive. Look, our country, uh, my adopted country now, has been becoming increasingly uh, uh, perceived as out of touch on the global field on many, many, many levels, right? And I think that it's really a thing of credit and pride that the the Oscars are becoming more reflective of excellence in film, period, as opposed to excellence in film in America funded by, you know, large studios. So again, I think it's a little, uh, I think it's very myopic to only focus on these dot branch because there's really something else happening across the board. And I think that's exciting. And I also think this is like Moonlight and Parasite, one of the things the Academy struggles with is the push-pull, right, between films that may be really quality, that people respond to, and the big budget things, right? And the, the problem, well, the solution for that is not to criticize the Academy, but as you said, John, to go back to the beginning and think about producing work differently, perhaps. So, um, again, for me, I think it's something to be very proud of in the Dog Branch and elsewhere that we're opening up. I think it's important to keep in mind that the Oscars were created as a marketing tool. I mean, mm-hmm. that was their initial <laughs> reason for being. And then excellence was, you know, mixed in with that. And I think to uh, something that other panelists have said or other my colleagues have said, I think our branch wants to recognize the artistry. And that's not to say that there weren't other films worthy of that recognition 
But I think that's what we try to do. And so I, I want to say that. I also think to the question of international work, it's no secret that the industry as a whole, and I'm not talking strictly documentary here, relies so heavily on international markets that they have to start to recognize international work or they won't be able to compete in the international marketplace. And we see that every time China decides to not show a film and suddenly this blockbuster is hampered by this huge roadblock that comes up. So the idea of recognizing international work is not new. We're certainly not the first branch to do it. But I think that's the more interesting question about the art and the commerce of how we do that. Yeah, and Lois, you have been behind at Independent Lens many Oscar-nominated films, including I Am Not Your Negro, directed by the Haitian filmmaker Raoul Peck. I mean, one of the greatest documentaries of the last 10 years, in my view. It's obviously about an American subject in James Baldwin. But I think this is, issue is bringing up a larger question of, we need to ask, what are the big, deep-pocketed entities? What kinds of films are they backing? Are they backing smaller, independent films of the kind that were, that were recognized? I mean, I would make an exception about Bobby Wine and that it's, it was acquired by National Geographic, which, um, you know, is, is not second to anyone in terms of the amount of marketing muscle they put behind a film. But, you know, the big entities, as discussed a lot on the documentary field, be it Netflix, Apple, are, are typically backing true crime projects or celebrity-oriented films. And two of the ones that were expected to get nominations, I thought would get nominations, fell into that category. The American Symphony about John Baptiste, the Grammy-winning musician from Netflix and, uh, and the Obama's production company. And then still, a Michael J. Fox movie directed by Davis Guggenheim, which is celebrity-oriented. So I think it raises that issue of if people are complaining that these big entities didn't get recognized, well, what kinds of films are they backing? Lois, maybe you, <laughs> as someone who is a champion of, you know, of, of all kinds of fantastic documentaries, certainly ones that, you know, are on first blush, would not be considered, aha, this is this is a blockbuster right here and we're going to throw millions of dollars at it. You know, you've been a champion of those yeah. kind of films. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to speak to who makes the decisions in those in those chairs because, you know, I don't sit in those chairs. I can talk about what we do and we don't fund things for awards. I mean, I'll just be that simple. We fund filmmakers who have incredible stories to tell. And, you know, the example you gave of I Am Not Your Negro, I mean, working with Raul on that film when nobody else would fund it, or, you know, quote-unquote smaller films like Hale County This Morning, This Evening, or Hidden Letters, which was shortlisted last year. It didn't get nominated. Writing with Fire. We didn't fund any of those films thinking of an Oscar campaign. It never even occurred to us. I mean, maybe the filmmakers, I think all filmmakers secretly are thinking about those things, which they should, they're filmmakers. But that's not why we make any decision about what we fund and what we support. It really is about this story needs to be in the world. And I think earlier Marge said something about documentary and journalism. And I really think that that is really the right question to be asking and talking about. Um, I don't want to point fingers, but, you know, we take the work seriously in terms of what is a documentary as opposed to what is entertainment and what is nonfiction entertainment. 
And there is nothing wrong with nonfiction entertainment. It is fabulous. On Friday night, I've had some of my best Friday nights watching nonfiction entertainment. I'll put in a plug. Bao's <laughs> new film, uh, Biggest Night in Pop, Greatest Night in Pop, is a wonderful, wonderful film. On so much fun to watch. Yeah, exactly. And so there's a place for all of that. But I think perhaps, you know, the word documentary and this idea of what's behind the intention of the film is really kind of the interesting topic. And there's no right or wrong answer, but it is what I've seen change. If you're asking, Matt, also what I've seen change, that's what I've seen change in my, whatever, 36 years doing this work, is that everything is now labeled a documentary. Some of it is, in fact, nonfiction entertainment. Hmm. Uh, I think that's a great point. Yeah. And I'll chime in here that um, I think that the question about the deeper pocketed buyers, it seems that, I mean, there was one quote from one of the articles that we, we want to make great films that will reach a broad audience. So is the impulse, um, you know, this will reach a broad audience. Um, this is Oscar bait. Um, is that kind of the, the driving impulse in, initially to buying these documentaries? Um, and then, and then putting lots of money be in, into awards campaigns where a lot of, you know, the, a lot of the more independent documentaries, uh, I don't think they're necessarily thinking of, I mean, yes, they should think about a marketing campaign, but they're not necessarily thinking about a broad audience as defined by the deeper pocketed, um, acquirers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, as a filmmaker, right, it's great that there's more money in this industry than there was before. It's wonderful to drive down Sunset Boulevard and see a, a, a giant billboard, right, promoting a documentary, you know, to open the LA Times, New York Times, see these things. I, I don't think we are like, oh, no, we want to go back to a world where there's no money in documentary. That's not what anybody's saying, right? However, the core things that resonate with documentaries as a form with humans, right, which is to really allow a connection, a human-to-human -human connection where you can go on a journey into, slip into a life, an experience that there's no other way that you would have access to the things that deeply move the soul about documentaries still exist and still resonate with us, whether there's money, a celebrity, et cetera, or not, right? So when you're watching Paoli care for Augusto Gongora in The Eternal Memory, like, it's a human experience. It, you know, you're not thinking about, oh, which studio put this out and how much money, money did they spend, right? It just resonates on a human experience. So if we can get to a place where there, and there are very good examples where, you know, big funded docs, et cetera, are, you know, appealing to audiences and they're sort of doing the full bit, right? They're still speaking to our hearts in a really profound way. I think we'll see those films when I think Summer of Saul is a good example of a film that was just, you know, like what ticked on all the boxes. So again, it's not some conspiracy. I always bristle when people say the Academy has decided. The Academy is a bunch of single <laughs> human beings 
right? <laughs> who have a ballot that they fill out and then they send it. And in fact, the system is, I think a ranked voting system is a, is a pretty fair, you know, way of getting to the net opinion. And I think that, you know, we should stop hand-wringing about what's going on with the awards. And we should also remember that in the end, especially in a world that feels disconnected in the way that this world feels disconnected right now, when we see our humanity reflected in the story of someone who may seem very different from us, it's profoundly moving, right? And and people respond to that. And uh, we have to look at it in the context of the world in which we are living, which motivates the choices that we make as we make them in any moment, right? And I think you can't diminish what's going on outside film in in how it impacts us when we're voting. So, but along along those lines is part of the issue, and you talk about the context of the world that we're living in, there's the context of the world, as you say, you know, we see journalism um, just eroding day by day. Um, we need people. I absolutely believe we need people who are willing to go out and tell the stories, whether they're intimate personal stories, whether they're stories where um, they're putting their lives, as you say, at risk to tell a story that a lot of people, including myself, we have trouble paying attention to, even though other people's lives are at risk. So there's that. And there's a reality that documentary filmmakers, they've done that. They're going to do that. They will do that in the future. But when you talk about the context of the world, and I'm not um, supposing that this is what you're saying, but I'm saying this in the context of the conversation we're having, is the world that we're living in, sort of this post-gravy days, both in film and television, there was an explosion and People were vomiting money at every kind of project, believing that, you know, money makes it bigger. But in the documentary space, you saw big, you know, multi-million dollar sales. You saw things like you were saying, Summer of Soul, incredibly entertaining, wins best documentary, but also has cultural density, you know, in a way that, you know, I'm not your Negro, had cultural density. And there's this feeling that, hey, for a doc to work, big budget, big money, big sale, big cultural density, and that works for a while, and all of a sudden the world changes, and not the doc branch, not the people who are making the docs, but there is a culture around it that says, hey, we got to get these kinds of films in. And you see Netflix, I mean, look, I'll be blunt, when Scott Stuber went away, they've already proved they don't care about quality. And, you know, I, I literally just did a film there. I'm, I'm sorry, they don't care about quality. If quality is there, that's not a bad thing. But, you know, McDonald's, doesn't care about quality. That's not a slam against McDonald's. That's not where they lead. They're huge. So are we living in an environment where, you know, look, everybody got a little taste for free. Um, the dealer's gone back to doing big deals with people who can, you know, buy their product at $100 million. And a lot of folks, folks are doing this because it is necessary, because they realize it's necessary. And I'm doing this show because I watch docs. I see self-starters. I see people who are fearless. I see people who are artistic. I see people who are going to come back because it doesn't matter if they get the award. doesn't matter if they get big money. They're going to do this. And for a lot of us, it's like, no, it's a non-troversy and followed by a non-troversy about a non-troversy. And we all got to go back to a space. I know this is more about me saying these things, but it's part of the issue all of us, whether it's uh, documentary, whether it's regular features, got to go, you know, it's ain't, it ain't 2019, 2017 anymore. New world, new rules, new era, and the new boss is the old boss. Do it because you love it. Anybody can jump in in any way. I know I said a lot. 
I mean, I think for documentary makers, do it because you love it. It has to be the baseline because if it's do it because you're going to get rich, no. you're going to have a very disappointing life, you know? So yeah, do it because you love it and do it because because it allows people to feel more connected and it allows us to understand our democracy better, the global democracy better. You know, it allows us a window into the world. That's why documentary filmmakers make their films. And just to be clear, I think there's a lot of that also in some of the films that got quote unquote snubbed, right? It's it's not, oh, sure. yeah. not a zero sum thing. It's just that there's only five slots and that's all that's available. It's, yeah. you know, it's not rocket science. Yeah, I would say... You know, obviously every film on the short list was made by a passionate filmmaker who believed deeply in what they were doing. Some had more money, some had less money, but they were all doing it because they believed deeply that this is a story that has to be told. Documentary filmmakers, independent documentary filmmakers, get to make a film, and then they start from scratch to make their next film. And then they start from scratch to make their next film. So if they're not doing it, out of passion. I, I remember just to drop a name. I was at, when I worked at Sundance, we were at one of the labs and uh, a famous executive got up and he said, he opened his talk by saying, if there's anything else you can do, do it. Anything else <laughs> in the world that you can do, leave right now, leave <clears throat> the mouth and go and do it because this is going to be hell. You're signing <laughs> up for, I, and I was just like, God, that's so depressing. Just like, but then it turns out he was right. He was absolutely <laughs> right. You know, independent filmmakers struggle every film. So, yes, as Marge said, there's five slots. Did 15 films deserve? Yeah, probably 20. You know, who knows what the right number is, but there's five slots. But to your point, John, for independent filmmakers, whether it's narrative or documentary, but maybe even well, both for both, you have to do it because you're compelled to do it. Otherwise, it's, you know, it's not a it's not a winning field to choose. And there was, as we've all acknowledged, more money and filmmakers took advantage of that in a good way. But that money now has gone away. And so, you know, we do have to find a new way forward. But yeah, just to, I mean, to echo, I mean, both Marge and Lois, I mean, the, this is an art form. Um, these are artists who venture into unknown territory, come back with amazing stories that we've never seen before and, and, and tell them in hopefully in ways that we haven't seen told. I don't think it'll be a market driven. I, I think if we venture into market driven um, a context that we're seeing, you know, in the so-called golden age, what the deep pocketed um, spenders want in the community will go that way. I don't think we're going to see that. I mean, that would be I don't know, betrayal of yourself as an artist. I mean, and and, and so I do hope and I do think and knowing this community, um, how committed they are to seeking out new stories, to telling new stories, to seek to shedding light on issues and communities that this will continue. Can I can I get one question in, Matt, real quick? Because this is actually a question, yeah. Matt. I'm going to direct mm -hmm. to you. This is to Matt Carey, because uh -oh. we've talked about the branch. We've talked about the filmmakers. We've talked about the, the providers, but somebody brought up at the very head of this, part of this issue is how journalists in the industry are covering the doc branch and covering the awards and just the realities of, of journalism that, you know, it, it is about the clicks and it is about the reads and it is about those things. So Matt, I already um, ended my career because I called out Netflix 
So I want to help you end your career. But you're you're a journalist. <laughs> you cover these things. You're at, you know, one of the major places. Is is the issue the drive both, you know, there there is a um ad industrial complex that the money goes to the people who are covering it so that they can cover it, so that folks can get profiles so that they can, you know, sell it for more next time around and, and everybody's making money. But there's also that drive in journalism, unfortunately, where it's not just write a good story and hope people read it, write something that's going to get clicks. From your perspective, Matt, and I don't want to get you in trouble, but how do you perceive how these things are being covered? And is it, are we, am I part of the problem? Because I love documentaries and we got to have something to talk about, and we pull together three amazing people who say, there's nothing to see here, folks. Keep moving. Are we part of the problem? And if we are, how do we get better at, at, at covering these? So at the end of the year, and again, you predicted it, and it was all fine, and other people seem to have trouble wrapping their heads around, it's international, it's representative, it's five slots. Deal with it. What say you, Matt Carey? Well, I, I would initially say that, John, that you are a champion of a lot of documentaries that are not ones that people have necessarily heard that much about in the, the general public. And that makes a big difference. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about King Cole, which was recently That's acquired. Uh, as Lois, you and I were talking about that earlier in the week. But it, it did go for almost a year after its debut at Sundance without release. So you... That's an important function to shine a light on films that maybe aren't getting attention, you know, and that have probably originated at film festivals. That's that's one point I would make. You know, th there is a reality that as journalists, we are going to be approached by a lot of publicists to do coverage of particular documentaries. Why is that? Well, those publicists have been hired by entities that have a lot of money. It's not exclusive. I mean, you know, last year, I'll give an example of A House Made of Splinters, Simon Larry Wellmont's film that surprisingly, kind of out of nowhere, was able to secure an Oscar nomination, did not have U.S. distribution. Wherever they got the money from, they did have, late in the game, some support from publicists. Now, I had seen that film earlier anyway and was, you know, love Simon's work, but you know, there is a, a first in the door, a, a through the door effect of who journalists are being pitched. I think it behooves anyone covering the field to dig deep and not to take obvious choices and make sure that films, wherever they're coming from, be the international or, say, quote unquote, smaller American films are getting attention. And that does take a little bit more work other than like, oh, OK, here's something that came over the transom from a usual suspect. So rigor and and care and passion, just as the filmmakers have passion, it moves journalists, I think, to bring passion to the art form. And that that's something I, I would claim for myself. It's why I love covering it, as these filmmakers are remarkable. They are covering these subject matters, I think, in general, for very altruistic reasons, to create a better world, to you know, improve our democratic systems, as we've been, been talking about. Uh, Tom mentioned that in many cases they're risking their lives. Uh, Mrs. Slav Chernov in Twenty Days in Mariupol could have been killed in any any day making his film. Uh, Moses Bueo, who's the co-director of Bobby Wine, the People's President, was shot in the face while making his film. 
Um, you know, these are very brave, courageous people. And, uh, and it takes a lot of courage to make a film, even if you're not being shot at, I think, a documentary film. So I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit all over the place with that. But um, any field you look at, there's deficiencies and lack of rigor in many cases. But um, And I think there should be more journalists covering it. That would help. Except at Boeing. Not at Boeing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think, Matt, what you said really says who these filmmakers are. I just want to echo that. I think you, it can't be said enough. I think people who are watching the documentaries whether they're people in our community or, you know, someone in a small town, you know, in the middle of some state in America, they they usually don't know what it took to make that film. And it took a lot of sweat equity, incredible perseverance and commitment. And say what we will about the larger field, that is true of the five films that were nominated. And as we said, others, but I think they they speak to what's at the core of who the documentary branch is, I think. Which sounds like such interesting stuff for documentary journalists to write about, (laughs) as opposed to, you know, just endless pundit lists. I mean, there are really stories about the form. I'd love to see journalism. And again, I say this, you know, with Matt, Tom has like done, you know, yeoman's work over decades to kind of talk about this stuff. You know, there, there are really good stories, but it does require a bit more, um, of an effort to reach into a wider pool than the 10 people you speed dial the most often to get an opinion, right? Um, there's fantastic storytelling to be done about documentary, and I wish we'd see more of that. And I was uh, just going to add, um, yeah, I mean, Matt, Matt, you're right about the, I mean, I'm sure award season is is just an, in warp speed for you. I mean, just, and it's imperative to, for journalists and uh, for those in the documentary community to really kind of look be uh, you know in the corners and around the corners and the in the places where documentaries are being nurtured and developed. There's a huge infrastructure and enabling infrastructure of nonprofits and festivals, uh, educators, academia that really are you know in, instrumental in in uh, developing and furthering this community. So pay attention to who wins uh, awards at festivals and not just at Sundance, uh, but around the world. I mean, there are a number of uh, really, re- you know, great regional festivals, great documentary specific festivals. Pay attention to the, the pitch forums, what's being pitched, what's, what's, what people are paying t- attention to, who's getting the grants, who's appearing on webinars and other, you know, other forums and conferences. I mean, what's being discussed. So it really, it takes a lot of research, a lot of attention but that really kind of deepens your knowledge and wisdom about the field and where it ought to be going. And to that point, John Ridley will be reporting from True False. Yeah. Yeah. Missouri coming up. One of those important... Yeah, another one of those great, great regional festivals that elevate work that would not get elevated if not for those small regional festivals. Big Sky is coming up. Very excited to go. I have not attended. I think it's also important to note that the documentary branch is responsible for two shortlists and two groups of nominations. Documentary feature, which was what we've been talking about, and documentary short. I think the coverage of this has really implicitly been a slam on the short documentaries, because if you look at that, there are American filmmakers and American stories that were recognized there. The ABCs of book banning, for instance, co-directed by, among other people, Sheila Nevins, The Barber of Little Rock, 
which takes place in Little Rock, Arkansas. Nainai and Waipo is really interesting because it's about two Taiwanese uh, grandmas of American, Asian-American filmmaker Sean Wong. The last repair shop could not be more American. It's set in L.A. <laughs> so yeah. it's not as if yeah. there was a, 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 a pact to, ah, we're going to completely ignore <laughs> American subjects and filmmakers. They were recognized. But again, that's not sexy to talk about. Well, heaven forbid, we, we don't want to talk about anything that's not sexy, John. <laughs> I think shorts can be fit and sexy. And um, we, that's probably another topic. But um, but I, you know, I think that's... A- <laughs> I Shorts are very, I want to go on the record before Listen. we end it. Shorts are fabulous. Yes. And, <laughs> I, and I think it's an encouraging development over the past 15 or 20 years that we've seen platforms for shorts, although it's not necessarily lucrative for the filmmakers. I mean, uh, but I think hopefully we'll get there. But I, but I think with New York Times Film, Opdocs, with The New Yorker, uh, with other platforms, I mean, and POV and Independent Lens, I believe, that um, has a platform for shorts. So, yeah, I mean, so I think that really elevates that form. And I think there's a lot of really uh, daring artistry going on. I mean, these all five nominees are worthy of, of checking out in addition to the shortlist shorts. Yeah, listen, they're all um, terrific. And again, I, I do think, uh, kidding on the square, but to the to the world at large, it's not sexy. So let's ignore the answer to the problem that doesn't really exist that's there. I also want to say very quickly as we wrap, um, you know, it was not at least our intention to, to pick on the authors of either of these articles. Um, it's more, this is what's going on. This is what folks wrote. And I do think that as journalists checking journalists that we're just having a conversation about how we cover um, something that's very important to, to clearly the three of you, but I know Matt Carey loves this as well. And I, I love it too, but I'm, I take a whole different approach. Um, just, I just think all this stuff is crazy. Yeah, to me, John, it says that there are pressures, obviously, on the journalists as well to, as you said, you have to have the clickbait and what kind of journalists can do their work if really the external, the internal pressure is, you know, how many people are going to click on this versus that article on the Kardashians. That's that's a dangerous place for our. I agree with you. And I'm going to say this in closing. That's why I literally I ain't getting paid to do this. I'm doing this because Johnny ain't bought by anybody. Um, of course, then nobody wants to buy me either. There's, there's that other end of it. Listen, Marge, Lois, Tom. You're a documentary filmmaker, Don. You've got all the qualifications. You've got all the experience. By the way, you know what? Indeed, That's sort so. of yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so is Meryl Streep, but she seems to work it a little better. Um, Listen, <laughs> Mark, Lois, Tom, I've, listen, I've, I've risen to, this is the pinnacle of my career. I'm doing a podcast on documentaries and I get to elevate other people whose work I love, talent and fearlessness. Seriously, I, if I could do this for the rest of my life, you know, I'm still wearing my pajamas. I just rolled out of bed. I get to talk to you and I'm going back to bed. This fits my lifestyle. And then I got Matt Carey who does all the heavy lifting. Listen. <laughs> Marge, Lois, Tom, and Matt, I did put you on the spot again, so I'm going to thank you as well. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for this conversation. It was really phenomenal. And I look forward to talking to you all next year of the controversy. I can't wait to see what controversy you all come up with next year because it's going to be hard to top this year's. Thank you all so much for joining us. Um, I'm going to be heading off shortly to True Fall Stock Festival, but I'll be coming back, yeah. and Matt and I will be here to talk about documentaries again. Thank you all. 
This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. Thank you. It's been great. Good to be here. Be well, everybody. You too. Thank you.